This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Be it known as a public notice to the passengers going to Surat that the steamer flocks will positively sail at 8 o'clock in the morning on the 15th instant. From Surat, it'll sail to Gogo and from Gogo to Bhavnagar. Tickets may be arranged at the office of Rasul and Sons at the Bazargate Street till the evening of the 14th instant. November 1854. It's nine in the evening. A ferocious wind had been sweeping everything in its wake. Vessels in the harbour are coming apart like a pack of cards. Men are running all over, looking for shelter from the torrential rain. Even as built structures and trees are all broken and scattered about, it's going to be a long night of death and ruin. Many princes will turn into paupers over the night. A deadly cyclone is about to consume the city. What will now happen to the city of Bombay? Mumbai today is a city of dreams and the financial capital of India. Everyone who wants to make it really big usually runs to Mumbai and run Mumbai. But even in the 19th century, in the middle of the 19th century, Mumbai was just a narrow walled town. 170 years later, the Mumbai we see today and the Bombay in the mid-19th century were totally different entities. Where the Taj Mahal Hotel now stands, there was a boat basin used by the rowing members of the Bombay Gymkhana. The Kala Ghoda area was a large open field where wholesale peddlers sold grass and other fodders. I'm Onirban Bondopadhyay and this is the story I want to tell you in the series Bombay Born. I learnt about the Kala Ghoda area being a large open field in a story about when an Englishman called Kite flew the first balloon in Bombay. A large crowd had gathered around the Kala Ghoda area. The snack vendors carried out a brisk business, selling fritters and other munchies to the bustling crowd as they waited for the strange contraption to take off the ground. I read about that episode in Dinsha Wacha's delightful memoir, In the Sands of Bombay. Wacha left a delicious account of a city in ferment. What if we were to recall some of those turning points from the early career of Bombay as a city? What was Bombay like when it had not yet become the second city of the empire and later the commercial capital of India? What was it like when it had only just started to show some promising signs of the great future ahead? Dinsha Wacha turned 70 in 1914 when he started writing a weekly column in the newspaper Bombay Chronicle. Wacha's objective was to present a thumbnail sketch of Bombay during the 1850s and 1860s for a comparison with the marvelously transformed city in the 1910s. He himself believed that he was writing an account largely from memory of the great men 
who had brought greatness and eminence to Bombay as a city. The book, Shales from the Sands of Bombay, is a tribute to the idea that outstanding characters can change the course of time and of history. It was a story of heroes to show the ways in which their enterprise had transformed a mere collection of fishing villages into the second city of the British Empire within a few decades. In those days, as in the 1920s, history was usually presented as a collection of strategic lessons for future generations about the great work of pioneering men who presumably brought about civilization and progress. It was a tribute to the spirit of work, to the spirit of hard work, of having a vision and of rigorously converting it to a reality through hard labor. Bombay did not amount to much before these worthy men began their work. It had no mythological history or aristocratic pedigree, except perhaps the legends of Mumba Devi or Valkeshwar. No major power envisaged the great potential of these seven islands, or Heptanasia, even though trade between the East and the West had been going on since time immemorial. Surat, not Bombay, had been the busiest Indian port until its decline in the 18th century. Surat declined because the Mughals did. In fact, the decline of Surat betokens in some way the decline of the great Mughals and the rise of the three presidency towns, Calcutta, Madras and Bombay, marks the emergence of the, the British colonial regime in India. The Dutch and the Portuguese had noticed Bombay. But uh, the British alone deserve the credit for recognizing the potential of the Bombay Harbor for the purpose of well-organized and systematic trade. They were also the first to make arrangements to protect the harbor from occasional invasion of pirates. Incidentally, some of these pirates included Indian communities, such as the Siddhis, the Moplas, or the Angriyas. Statesmen soldiers, sailors, merchants, bankers, churchmen, warriors, judges, shipbuilders, town planners. These were the cast of characters that Dinshawacha had in mind. Some of their names, such as Bertel Frere or Lord Rie, were familiar to the Bombayite in the early 20th century. However, the names of a majority of the real makers of the greatness and prosperity of Bombay, who had performed arduous and perilous labor without any hope for reward or fame, had been largely forgotten. Let's begin with town criers or stenters, as you've heard them in the beginning. These anonymous men would go about the town and shout out urgent information. They would announce the schedule of departing ships in the middle of a marketplace. They were the first to evoke the wonder of Watcher as a child. How did these criers work? How were the schedules of departing ships announced? 
two such criers would usually take positions in the native parts of the fort, where a curious audience would gather around. They took turns in announcing, in a loud and practiced tone, the date of journey of a vessel, the names of ports where it would stop and offload passengers. Their style of delivery, amusingly enough, reminded Watcher of the steady rhythm in which students in native schools were made to recite mathematical tables. I imagine their voice still ringing in my ears, he wrote many years later. He wondered, like a child, if the robots' criers ever got a sore throat. The criers come as a trace of a lost past, whose sights and sounds were meant to create wonder. They were a trace of a Bombay that had disappeared forever. They were the human relics of a time long gone. It was the strangeness of their voice and style which captivated the young watcher as a child. The harbour was the most arresting site in Bombay of the mid-19th century. It would be full of wooden vessels. Ships with two sails were called Dodoli Bahans. Ships with three sails were called Tindoli Bahans. Doli meant masts. Arab vessels were called Hao. The ships from Kathiawar were called Fatimas, Prose, or Battlers. Then there were the humbler vessels such as the dinghies, the jolly boats, and the bandar boats. These were smaller native vessels and moved inside the harbour area. They helped in offloading goods from larger ships. Do remember the modern steamboats and patrol boats were still decades away. There were a few glorious exceptions. I'll shortly come to that too. The vessels would be moved in a line along a seven-kilometer stretch south to north from Baladpia to Seori. There were smaller private harbors in the stretch and these were worn by private individuals who had received them on perpetual lease from the East India Company. There was, for instance, the Karnak Bandar. It was also known as Bhala Rasul. It was the most popular and well-situated of these private harbours. It made a great deal of money for its owners. These private harbours were bought over by the government of Bombay during the 1870s, when the Port Trust was finally established. Meanwhile, the Suez Canal had transformed the fortunes of Bombay overnight. Most of the import and export trade switched from the east to the west, making Bombay literally the gateway of India. Sassoon Dock, the first wet dock in India, was built in 1875. So, let's not jump the gun. Let's return to the 50s and the 60s. During then, the larger foreign ships would be anchored in deeper waters, some distance away from uh, the harbour. The advanced vessels of the Indian Navy were an exception. They had already adopted steam navigation, though they were smaller in size compared to those in the 20th century. A senior naval officer of the rank of a commodore 
would be a resident near the harbor. His band would entertain the people of Bombay at the bandstand once every week. These officers of the Navy would leisurely fraternize at the exclusive Bombay Club. The port was not so far into the sea yet. Anyone standing at the Apollo Bandar could still see the forest of masts of foreign shipping in the distance. It was a favorite pastime of many in Bombay. When the harbor was enlarged later, that popular recreation became a distant memory. However, it was not all fun and games. The disastrous cyclone of November 1854 nearly destroyed Bombay. The watchers lived quite close to the harbor. There was no sleep from 10 in the night to 2 in the morning. The waves lashed in all their fury, sending out a deafening roar. The children in his house would cower under the bed. Their grandmother told them tales from the Arabian nights to soften their nerves. Windows and doors from the upper floor of their house were blown away, landing violently on the roads. They saw flashes of lightning through the chinks in the windows and heard the violent clashes of thunder non-stop. It felt as though the house would cave in any moment and they'd be buried alive. The next morning, he saw under the windows scattered pieces of broken ships. The masts were floating on the water. The cargo was littered all over the place. Pieces of coconuts and cotton dokras were lying about. Walking out of his house, out of curiosity, the 10-year-old boy saw, in the area now called Mint Road, scores of dead bodies of men. They walked in the vessels and were drowned, and their bodies were forced into the shore. I quote, It seemed as if there were so many tortured ghosts thrown up by the evil spirit in its demoniacal rage, unquote. Large bunny and trees were uprooted, and the roads littered with broken trunks and leaves. Fallen trees were listlessly floating on sheets of water. The rains of the previous night had choked the drainage system, causing patches of water to collect on the roads. Let me now quote Watcher in some detail. Here's the memory of a 10-year-old boy recalled 60 years later. I quote, in the town itself, the same spectacle was to be seen at Mandavi and Mazgao. West Rampart Row and Esplanade Road were one vast area of fallen trees, which floated in sheets of water which the torrents of rain during the night had formed. The Maidan from the Bazaar Gate and from Church Gate dazed our eyes. So complete was the havoc. Fallen windows... Portions of black walls and so on intermingled while it was afterwards reported that terraces were so blown away and fallen elsewhere that it was impossible to account for how the velocity and the ferocity of the cyclone had done this work. Mahim Foreshore and Mahim Woods told the same tale. Coroner's juries were held at temporary morgues impressed in certain centers of the fort and the town beyond it. Crawling to Apollo Bandar, while on an inspection of other places in the fort, we were greeted at every turn with similar scenes of rack and ruin. 
It seemed a while as if nature had done her work and only vestiges remained to tell the tale of war and the aftermath of that eventful phenomenon. Of course, those interested to learn about the hurricane may ransack the files of the local papers of the day to realize the enormity of the loss of life and property that occurred and how Bombay only narrowly escaped almost total destruction by the mercy of providence. Unquote. It is an appropriate moment to conclude the first episode of this series on the early history of Mumbai. Bombay was about to be sunk down the dustbin of history in November 1854. It was an important milestone. 1854 and 1855 is also when Bombay was poised to take a 180-degree turn. A fortune awaited the fledgling town. I'll be talking about the men, the institutions, and the events which transformed Bombay from the wreck to which it had been reduced by the cyclone of 1854 to the marvelous and magical metropolis within a span of 10 to 15 years. A great deal of drama, a great deal of enterprise, and a great deal of romance awaits us in this journey with Dinshaw Watcher and his memoirs of early Bombay. So there you go. Join with me to the next episode of Bombay Born in History Chatter next week. We are going to go on a cruise on how Bombay was born and became the greatest metropolis of the 20th century India. Do subscribe to History Chatter in Epilogue Media website and on your favorite streaming platforms. This is Anirban and I'll see you next week with Bombay Born. Bombay Born.